Digital Gonzo, episode 71, dated Thursday the 26th of April 2012. Captain America, the first Avenger. I know this neighborhood. I got beat up in that alley. You just don't know when to give up. I could do this all day. Do you have something against running away? If you start running, they'll never let you stop. You're really going to do this now? There are men laying down their lives. I got no right to do any less than them. I can offer you a chance. Our goal is to create a new breed of super soldiers. When he brought a 90-pound asthmatic onto my army base, I let it slide. I am looking for qualities beyond the physical. You win wars with guts. Grenade! Everybody down! Is this a test? He's still skinny. Whatever happens, stay who you are. Not just a soldier, but a good man. Too late to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you actually did it. Who the hell are you? The first of many. Hydra is the Nazi deep science division, led by Johann Schmidt. He thinks he's a god. He's willing to blow up half the world to prove it. You're not even close to this technology. I asked for an army and all I got was you. Congratulations. You just got promoted. Mr. Stark? I had some ideas about the uniform. You're gonna get so many girls. Captain, we are much alike. I don't know if I can do this. You won't be alone. This is the fifth of the official Marvel superhero movies reviews leading up to The Avengers, which is released this week and will be our concluding review next week. Today we're talking about Marvel's period piece, Captain America. Not the first period piece they've done. Anyone else want to name at least two others? X-Men First Class. Yep. X-Men Origins? Yes, that's set in 1979, the uh, year of the Three Mile Island catastrophe. I keep forgetting that movie doesn't exist. Yeah. <coughs> and we're joining me on the helicarrier, our Gonzo Planet's recurring team of heroes, the amazing Jerome McIntosh. Hello. The incredible Paul Gibson. Hello. From Game Burst and KDS 2.0, the uncanny Neil Taylor. Hello. And finally, Kane and Rince's Joshua Garrity, the man without fear. Hello. Steve Rogers as Cap is one of the first and most abiding Marvel characters, created in 1941 and only preceded by two main characters still in continuity. For 50 points, who can name those two? Superman? Nope. Oh, no, in Marvel continuity. Oh, in Marvel. Ah. Yeah. They're two major characters in continuity, although one of them has actually undergone a considerable change. I have no clue. Is this the one where we kick ourselves really badly for not knowing this? I don't know. You, you might know, you might not. Um, it's Human Torch, the android version, who is now the Vision, that was around the Golden Age. Was it's in this movie as well. 
Uh, yeah, ironically. <laughs> Prince Namor. There's, it's, it's weird, because basically you've got Cap, the Human Torch, and Namor all hung out together. With, I can't remember the names of the... the, the, the they were like the Defenders or something like that. It's, defenders or Invaders, one of the two. That, the Invaders. It was the Invaders. So technically you've got the guy who played the later Human Torch playing Cap as well. This confuses Lyra, too, because she was watching Fantastic Four today, and she went, that's Captain America! I went, no, it's Johnny Storm. No, it's Captain America! So. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that is a little bit confusing for her. Actually, when uh, I, I told Sharon about the casting, she said, they can't do that, he was Johnny Storm. I said, they, they kind of want people to forget about all of the uh, Generation 1 Marvel films. Uh, they just want them to forget about the really bad Fantastic Fours. Mm, especially them. Uh, but yeah, and Namor, who has, interestingly enough, featured repeatedly in the Fantastic Four, trying to bone Johnny Storm's sister. Created for Timely Comics, later to become Marvel, during World War II by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, the man who would later be behind Thor, the Silver Surfer, and much of the cosmic adventures of the Fantastic Four, to bolster hearts and minds for America. Now, this was a year before Pearl Harbor, and Cap began his career punching Nazis and acting as a symbol, something captured very well in this film. Although in the comics, Bucky was a young teenage ward, much like Robin, rather than a competent adult soldier friend of Steve's. Interestingly enough, when uh, Lyra was looking at uh, file footage of Cap with young Bucky, she went, Robin! (laughs) No, that's Bucky. She went, no, it's not! Some people did not take to what the figure represented, taking particular exception to the first cover depicting Cap punching Hitler. It's also important to remember how hated the Japanese were at the time and how both they and the Germans were portrayed cruelly in what was effectively propaganda for children. He was also not the first superhero clad in the American flag with the MLJ character The Shield preceding him by 14 months. But within another year, with America joining the war, he became immensely popular and iconic. MLJ, which later became Archie Comics, tried to sue Marvel uh, over the fact that Cap basically held on to this American flag decorated pointy shield which was right on the chest of their character the shield so they said let's just change it into a round one you can keep the pointy one and then Cap started throwing it about the place and uh, and they proceeded with that idea because it's much much better it's significant that in more modern and culturally sensitive times when the opposition of a genuine threat is not required Cap is depicted as fighting the fictional force of Hydra rather than Germans and especially not the Japanese though Hydra do act as caricatures of the worst aspects of the Axis this also makes Cap the second Marvel cinematic character strongly linked with the atrocious actions of the Nazis the other one being Magneto Eric Lenscher's Magneto Although, interestingly enough, Eric's nemesis in First Class, while affiliated with the Nazi Party, was also not one himself. Mm. Atlas Comics attempted to revive its superhero titles when it reintroduced Captain America along with the original Human Torch and the Submariner in Young Men No. 24, December 1953, at the opening stages of the Cold War. Billed as Captain America Commie Smasher... It, along with everything else from Atlas Comics, was a commercial failure, and the character's title was cancelled with Captain America number 78 in September 1954. So effectively, Cap was dying there and, and could have faded away just like every other. I mean, most of the Golden Age characters were not revived. There are so many that have just been completely lost. Steve had faded away with the Golden Age of comics, only to be reborn in the Silver Age in Avengers issue... Anyone? Six? Four. Four. 
in March 1964, when, as in every retelling, he was thawed out from a glacier to be brought back to life and to join this new team of superheroes. This heralded a new aspect to Cap's personality, that of a fish out of water trying to adapt to a new society, something you'd imagine that after 48 years he'd have managed by now, especially since his initial time frozen was only 20 years and not 70, as in this movie. And how, in current continuity, the guy has to be about 72 years old, even not counting his two decades out of action. So, who's familiar with Captain America in comics? Me. <laughs> Ish. Tell us. Fairly familiar. Tell us about your experiences. Um, I really love Captain America, and uh, I'm going to uh, mention that series again. Uh, at the end of Civil War, boy, was that shocking. Mm. Let's not spoil it for the folks who haven't yet read Civil War, but Civil War is a must-read if you're new to Marvel. If, and if you like Cap's role in it, then all of Ed Brubaker's run, pretty much. Yeah, he it's really fantastic stuff. He he's just he was just one of those writers that just seemed to lock into the character and just did a, such a fantastic job with him. Um, I would like to mention the Ultimates briefly, uh, yes. simply because that portrayal of the character is so different than the regular universe. Um, the regular universe kind of portrays him as a very like, you know, morally right kind of character whereas um the ultimates one is a bit more shade of well very shade of gray yeah. um because his morals are very dated compared to these days mm. he's like a 60 year old man and he has no qualms about just killing people like just if they're the enemy they're the enemy so they should die like unlike the regular cap who feels like somebody who would try to take out somebody without killing them if possible mm. But that's by the more hard-nosed writer, Mark Miller. True to form, Cap was in yet another crappy 60s cartoon. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Uh, how are you coming with Operation Rebirth, General? Everything is ready, sir. As soon as the chemical is perfected, we move. The chemical is perfected, gentlemen. Then the time has come at last. Enter Steve Rogers. Too puny to be accepted by the army, but willing to risk death for his country in the greatest experiment of all. I drink quickly before the chemical loses its potency. Good luck, my boy. I've committed the formula to memory, so enemy agents can never steal it. Look, he's changing right before our eyes. It is a success. We have won. Soon there will be a million like... Never. You and your accursed experiment shall die within this room. Down with democracy. Down with freedom. Dr. Erskine. Take cover, Rogers. I'll stop that murderer. No, it's my job. It's what I was created to do. He's right. This is his first test. Stop, you fool. You're running into the electrical omniverter. Stay away. You'll never get me. Dr. Erskine is dead. And his formula died with him. So there can be no more like me. But I will champion the fight for freedom and justice wherever tyranny reigns. 
But since then, like Thor, he hasn't been on our screens in any lasting or memorable way. Now, this was not actually the first Captain America movie, not even the second. He was the subject of a 1944 serial about a district attorney named Grant Gardner, who lacked Bucky, Nazis, a shield, or super soldier serum, but did pack a pistol. He appeared in a 1973 Turkish film called Three Giants, alongside Spider-Man and a luchador wrestler named Santo. What? He was massive in Mexico. He was huge, yeah. Um, I know this movie uh, through yeah. Dark May Studios. It's, it's, um, was it uh, official? I mean, did they pay for the licenses? No, this is how it happens. In Turkey, uh, they had no copyright law. <laughs> so you have stuff like Turkish Star Wars, Turkish Rambo. You even have Brazilian Star Wars. Dude, I've like got to see Turkish Star no. Wars. That sounds delightful. No. Take it from me. I slipped my toe into this genre of exploitation movies. <laughs> you are not prepared for it. Is it just horrible beyond measure? Spider-Man's the bad guy. Okay, so they're taking some liberties with the license. <laughs> Put it this way. Uh, <laughs> they just look like the characters in question. Right. Oh, he has like a drug dealing squad or something, doesn't he? Yep. Oh, my God. Right, okay, let, let's just get away from that really rather Weird. scary hornet's nest. He was in a 1979 TV movie set in contemporary America and featuring the costume for about ten minutes, mostly during a motorbike chase. Appropriate because Cap looks like a blue evil Knievel. Oh, and let's not mention the shield. What's the shield? I never even saw it. Uh, I don't know if it's in that one or the second one where it's basically see-through plastic. It's got to be that one. The second one actually had an accurate shield. So. Seafood plastic? Mm. Yeah, and he put it on the front of the motorbike and all that yeah. sort of thing. Oh. <laughs> You've got to point out that it's played by legendary action hero Reb Brown. Who, who's Reb Brown? Reb. Okay. Uh, but he wears a crash helmet rather than Cap's customary cowl. Mm. It's, uh, he, he, they didn't even get like his midriff right. He's got like these weird lightning bolt red stripes going vertically all the way up. It's like braces. It's, ridic- it's, it's utterly ridiculous. In short... Move YouTube on, it. don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think the entire movie is on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, or don't check it out, in fact. And in 1990, Matt Salinger, son of JD, author of Catcher in the Rice, starred in one of the only two attempts to bring major Marvel characters to the big screen prior to Blade. The other one being? Uh, there's several. There's The Punisher. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Uh, that, that one actually got a cinematic release. Uh, the, the, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. Yeah. The That's one where awful. he doesn't even wear the skull. If you don't wear the skull, what's the point? Both films were atrocious. Salinger had to have rubber ears stapled to his cowl because his real ears chafed on the cheap-ass costume. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it just watches rubber ears when you see him. Uh, it was shot in Yugoslavia and featured Ronnie Cox from Robocop and Total Recall and Ned Beatty from Superman and Deliverance. This was just after Tim Burton's Batman had been released and expectations were high, but in the end it was released on video only in 1992, two years after it had been made, save for some sparse international theatrical runs, including the USSR. Presumably, with the Berlin Wall coming down, they were feeling kind about the USA and wouldn't storm the box office, demanding their rubles back. Get your guinea pig. Happens to be the best damn candidate out of 600 volunteers. A secret experiment gave one man the strength of a hundred. The rest of the world is just codenamed Captain America. And the power to save millions. The Jerry's had an experimental rocket ready to fire at a target somewhere in the United States. Only he could defeat a superhuman madman. You got a fella called the Red Skull heading up their outfit. All we can hope to get in there is one good man. 
icy grave until fate released him to finish a battle started decades ago. Yeah, he's still alive. We don't know where he is or who he is. Now, an evil genius is on the verge of global domination. Captain America, you gotta help us. And only Captain America can stop him. Ronnie Cox, Ned Beatty, Darren McGavin, Kim Gillingham, Scott Pollan as the Red Skull, and Matt Salinger as the Marvel Comics hero, Captain America. And in 2006, Ultimate Avengers, an animated straight-to-DVD film produced by Lionsgate. It's okay, especially the fairly accurate beginning, uh, accurate to the Ultimate's book one, Superhuman. But with Earth's Mightiest Heroes out there, it's pretty pointless to watch. Marvel had a hard job bringing Cap back to the screen. Since the turn of the century, America's foreign policy has been strained, to say the least, and to portray unabashed flag-waving in this day and age would instigate derision from the rest of the world. However, if they were too down on America, focusing on the current political climate, then their domestic box office would be abysmal. The solution was simple. Keep it set in World War II, where the character began and fit the most comfortably with the world around him, and then bring it forwards to our time and let things unfold. Superman doesn't have this problem. No, he's super American. Maybe yeah. it's because he came from another planet. Oh. I, I, no, I, this is the weird thing. I, I remember in the build-up to this movie coming out, a lot of hate for it. Uh, you know, a lot of people were just down on it just because simply the name. You know, because he's Captain America. It's like, no, mm. you've got to watch it. He's a fantastic. He's one of the best Marvel characters. Mm. I well, mean, from their perspective, like, we know stuff about the character that the average audience member doesn't. And that name, Captain America, if you don't know what it's about and, you know, all the interesting story that comes with him, you're just like, oh, what? That yeah. sounds dumb. One of my um, wife's colleagues actually said almost exactly that. She said, look what they've come up with this new hero, Captain America. She had never heard of him. She was like, what are they going to come up with next? Yeah, the trouble is over here, Marvel, DC, unless you know the big names or you've seen the animated series, the, I, the comics aren't easy to get hold of, so they're not sort of mainstream consciousness like mm. they were in the States. And to be fair, there is a Captain Britain who's pretty badass as well. Brian Braddock, brother yeah. of Psylocke. Uh, he had his own series a while back that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Got cancelled. <laughs> MI-13. Yes, that's the one. Read that. That's good. But, you know, it's a shame because I think the name conjures certain images to people who don't know. And mm. I, my housemate was a prime example. Did not want to see it. Did not have any interest in seeing it. It's like I kept saying, you're going to want to see it. You're going to want to see it. I had other worries about this movie, but uh, I'm sure we'll come to that. OK. Um, well, we'll start off with Tiny Steve, the real hero. <laughs> now, I... I love the uh, what they they did with this. Rather than having another actor play Steve and, and then have him transform into this this different guy, they, they were actually considering doing the, the the smaller Steve entirely in CGI. But they, by their own admission, they said that the uncanny valley would you'd be plunged into it, so it wouldn't feel right. So it was it was fairly straightforward what they did. They got a, a guy with a frail small body, an English guy, and then they digitally put. Chris Evans's head on him, but Chris Evans was actually super buff and 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 remained so for the for the entirety of the film. But they they used um, computers to sort of lean him down, uh, you know, around the face area and the neck area to make sure that he fit with the rest of his body. And it's actually really effective. Yeah. He seems a little bit unsteady, but at the same time, you think, well, dude, he's going to have legs like sticks. That sort of stands to reason. Definitely, you might notice it 
it look a little off in some places, but yeah. the majority of it, it works well. They knew it was going to work when they, um, people were looking at the, the preliminary effects, and they said, wow, how did you get that, all of the, that muscle suit onto that little guy? And they went, well, it's worked. It, it comes down to the performance from Chris Evans, because the first half of this film, before he puts on the cap uh, outfit at all, it all hangs on uh, Steve and this sort of earnest look in his eyes and this desperation to go and be part of something and this, this sort of unspoken de- debt that he has to both his parents who died de- serving their country in war. And Evans does extremely well with it. I think he, he makes Steve a lovable and honest character that you can root for. It's really nice um, seeing Chris play a character he's not usually uh, yeah. cast as as well because in most uh, the, the exception being Sunshine where he Sunshine. plays a fairly serious character in that but in most films he's kind of the comic relief like I'm the sarcastic jokey character mm. but in this he's quite serious and earnest and um, and he's not too energetic he's very calm and um, and he's very focused throughout the film mm. Yeah, good good one to measure him up against is uh, a more recent movie. If you don't want to do it against the Fantastic Four, would be the, his character in The Losers. I've, I've read on his uh, profile that he was worried about saying yes to the project. People had asked him several times at Marvel to do this and to be uh, Steve, and he was worried that if the film stank, he was he was in his words he was fucked, and if the film was great, in his words he was fucked because he'd be forced then to do six more Captain America films that he might not necessarily want to do. But in the end, um, he, he just sort of bit the bullet and said, you know what, this, this could actually be the role of a lifetime, and, and, and took it. I'm really glad he did. Yeah, he actually got uh, hit with a very interesting contract. I think he's down for, he's six movies he's down yeah. for, isn't it? Beaten by Samuel L. Jackson's nine. But yeah. Nine? Ooh. <laughs> Mind you, do his They're going to wheel him out for the ninth one. <laughs> do you reckon his cameos count as the movies I as think, well? I think so, yeah. But, yeah. that's like pre- four of them already. The normal standard sort of contract that I know of in Hollywood is between two to three. Mm. So if it's successful, you'll get them back for the sequel, or if you know not, they'll get them in some dodgy naff movie that needs star power. Mm. Uh, I think that it's like another example would be Nolan when he cast um, Bale as Batman. They nailed him down for three. Yeah. come back to Cap in a bit because obviously there is a, a straightforward division of the movie right down the centre. Stanley Tucci as Erskine is for me the standout act of the entire film. His delivery, it's so genuine and offhand and he's, he's honest and warm and funny and you feel like just looking in his eyes there's something going on back there and he's got this vision of what Steve could be and he's, he's finally there and his portrayal of the character seems more natural than almost every single Marvel character that we've seen so far. And it's such a small, minor character, really. He's um, Captain America. Sorry, who's the scientist in Iron Man? I've forgotten his name. Um, who's with uh, who's Tony the in the scientist film? in Iron Man? Sorry, in the cage. Yen- in the oh, Jensen. Jensen. He's Captain America's Jensen in this film. Yes. Um, he's you know, 
Not so much that, because with Iron Man, Tony needed to have a character change as well. Like, um, he had to have a change of perspective. Uh, Steve doesn't need that. He's already a very decent uh, human being. Mm. Um, It's more like... It's more guiding Steve to what really, like, matters. What parts of his personality are going to matter going forward. It's not about being this big, strong, like, super soldier. What makes him worthy of this power is that ultimately he's just a decent human being and he understands the value of that power and he's just like there are several moments where he reminds Steve like you know there's a scene where they're sitting down to have a drink well he Steve's about to have a drink but he snatches it away from him but he you know he's like remember that you're a good man and that's you know that's what matters and we've already seen what happens when uh, a corrupt man gets uh, the super soldier serum in uh, Blonsky. Or you could say Red Skull as well. Yeah. Because it Red Skulls, it, I've, I've already mentioned at some point earlier, um, the, I think it was probably in the Hulk one, that uh, everyone's nemesis is usually a shadowy reflection of themselves and, or, or, or shares some similarity with them. Uh, in this case, it's a super soldier who was... Let's talk about Johann Schmidt now, because actually he's on my list. Um, the most interesting thing I read about him, I, I read about him today, because I just took this guy to be a straightforward, villainous villain. Was it you, Josh, who said last week that he's just... There's no dimension to him. He's, he's the darkest just shade of black there yeah. is, really. He's like, he just Joffrey to dis- seem like yeah. totally light nah, actually, by comparison. Nah, in all seriousness, I just thought I watched an episode where I was like, dude, what is wrong with you <laughs> for Joffrey? Uh, it's, it's stuff that happens in that episode where Red Skull will be like, I, you might want to, you know, tone it down just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's just a straightforward one-dimensional guy. What Hugo Weaving said about him, and this doesn't really make his character more interesting that much, but it's an interesting perspective on it, is that he is the opposite of Steve in that he's very, he knows what he wants and he's very self-interested and he's in touch with himself. Steve isn't in touch with himself because he has removed himself from the self. He only wants to work for other people. I can see that. But that doesn't change the fact <laughs> that he's a fucking he Saturday is morning cartoon villain. Yeah. He's it's just you can't because you don't understand like he seems irrationally evil. Mm. Like he doesn't, he doesn't care about but, anything. It, it, it would be okay if it was motivated by insanity because the Joker does a lot of really despicable things, mm. but there's this sense that there's something broken there. Like mm. you get this feeling like, okay, he is not a well human being. Whereas the Red Some Skull. want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Whereas the Red Skull just seems like a guy who's just wants to be evil like it there's no like there, there's no drive behind it it's just i'm evil deal with it i am the supreme being the best way to describe it is he's worse than hitler <laughs> i do like the reference where he goes and the fuhrer digs for trinkets in the desert and it's like whoa they just mentioned raiders right there it wasn't quite the digging in the wrong place but yeah <laughs> uh neil as I was say, I think it's more down to Hugo's performance in that one. It's very seems to be oh scenery, om nom 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 nom. Yes, <laughs> he rips that scenery to pieces. I, right? I think he's been playing Megatron a little bit too long. Yeah, 
He is as one-dimensional as the way Bay portrays Megatron. Mind you, I mean, Megatron's not all that complex anywhere. I defy you to find a bit where Megatron does anything other than go, the world will be mine. Yeah, but Megatron's a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, Red Skull is a comic book character that's got many years of good history behind him. Uh, Anyone know anything about the Red Skull from the comics that's more than this? There's a recent series just finished, I think. It was a five-issue job. Um, just called Red Skull, which was going into his history. I've not actually read it yet, but it was by the same guys who did the Magneto Testament one a few years yeah. back. Um, it's apparently very, very good. Uh, yeah, compare him with Magneto, who is, it was this really twisted version of Good Intentions, and uh, he just he, he falls to pieces. Uh, as a, sorry, I mean the on-screen representation of yeah. Red Skull, not the more... I mean, they've, they've had in decades to write about it. I'm sure they've gotten deeper than this. Um, yeah. I'd just like to say that I, I don't know if this is really Hugo Weaving's fault, though. I feel like the character is written so two-dimensionally. That Two Hugo dimensions? Was... Where is this extra dimension you speak of? Well, he, to, to, to be fair, he one does care about... One dimension in 3D! To be fair, he does care about one thing in the movie. Yeah? His car. Yeah, he totally loves that car. Not a scratch. Very cool car. Right. Yeah. Does anyone know what Armin Zola looks like in the comics? Into yeah, just he's a face like a, on a TV screen. And, he's, yeah. a, he's a bloke yeah. with a TV screen for a head in the middle of his body and a video camera on the head. He's like, how have they just figured Toby Jones out of that? Uh, they do actually reference that in the film, though, because there's really? a quick shot where it's just him. the TV screen with his yeah. head on it, and oh, then oh, they nice. pan to the actor. That's clever. Okay. I do like the bit where Tommy Lee Jones sits him down and, go, and he goes, what is this? Steak. What's in it? Cow. <laughs> Tommy Jones seems half asleep in this movie. He's doing the, the the role. He's basically doing Chip Hazard, but not quite as much of an arsehole. I, I think it's Tommy Lee. It, it, it probably read in the script. Grizzle Drill Sergeant or General. Okay, I can do that. Who, who do we get? Tommy Lee Jones available. <laughs> and he does. It, I mean, he does it well enough. But I mean, he, he does what he's called for, and uh, and not much more. That, that's fine. Soldiers. No poor sap ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by being all that he can be. Damn the torpedoes, or give me death. Eternal vigilance is the price of duty. And to the victors go the spoils. So remember, you are the best of the best of the few and the proud. So ask not what your country can do for you. Only regret that you have but one life to live. The war against the Gorgonites will be won. Uh oh. The war effort. And this is what happens to Steve after he becomes Captain America. And one of the uh, the neatest uh, tricks of the movie is that this that you'd expect the second that he becomes super powerful, they could straight have then cut to a montage of him kicking Nazi ass. They don't, no and worries. I really like that. Instead, they go to the first of many montages. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there are. More Although, montages in this movie than there is movie. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it was the only way they could get the punching Hitler in without yeah. it being stupid. Yeah. yeah. And, and the original shield as well. Yeah. And the original costume, full yeah. stop, really. Mm. That was them saying, look, the original costume, if we did it exactly like it's supposed to be, would stupid. look a bit like this. Hint, hint, it- Avengers. Yeah, I mean, mm. let's. I'm, I'm going to wait and I'm going to defer to the Avengers and wait until we've seen it. But all yeah. of the preliminary co- costume shots that I've seen of Steve, especially when he's got his mask on, he looks like kick ass. And that's not a good thing. It doesn't look good because when he does get 
their representation of the costume, the proper costume layer, it works. It's really? believable. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely. It lo- it's even made of canvas and straps and things, and it, it looks like a functional uniform. I mean, even when he, when he first goes out, he's just taken one of the prop helmets, a leather mm. jacket, and he's got the combats on over the tights. Mm. Although, that I had to laugh at the, the fact that the prop helmet he picks up is the one with the A on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it just happens to have an A. This letter on my forehead doesn't stand for France! Oh, that's such a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's an ultimate moment. Um... <laughs> Okay, so yeah, the the war effort bit's really good because it, he's got all this power and they don't even let him use it. I mean, he's he's a mascot. Well, it's uh, you got to remember they they say it perfectly. He's an experiment now. They've lost the system that was going to help them make an army, and he's the only link to this serum. Mm. So you wouldn't put a useful asset like that into any danger. Uh, that doesn't make any sense, though. Well, no, I'm not sure. I think it's they just deem it a failure. And they just don't know what to do with him, hence the war effort thing. And I like, as much as this movie does have a little, a few too many montages in it, that montage does a real good job of, again, yeah. across his disappointment at not being able to serve, which is why he ends the program, but he, he eventually growing to love the job he's doing, and then realising that the job he's doing is actually, well, useless. Yeah. I think what it does really well, though, as well, is that it really establishes the time the film is set in yes. really effectively. It's like, this is the 1940s. Mm. And, and I actually, I think that's one of the, th- the strongest parts of the film in general. It really gets the tone of the 1940s really down. The first half of this movie is, is fantastic. It's really, it's really strong. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely stronger and more emotionally driven. This first part, yeah. Uh, there's actually there's a bit at the beginning I hadn't noticed in the first two viewings when the guys mouthing off in the movie going, "Come on, show the movie." There are women in the audience crying. They have empty seats next to them. Yeah, that's that's a neat touch. And uh, <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to bring this up because I don't know when I can really talk about. And it's the director, Joe Johnston. Director of Jurassic Park 3. Yeah, and so... And of that, that's Rocketeer. why I wanted to mention it, because if you, you, all you, know, if you, you only know Joe Johnston for Jurassic Park 3, you were worried. Mm. I was worried when it says, oh, it's going to be Joe Johnston. It's like, oh, crap. He's, he's kind of worked more in effects than he has in directing for yeah. his career. But um, then I remembered, oh, hang on, he did The Rocketeer. And if mm. you haven't seen that movie, hunt it down. It's well worth a watch because the one thing he seems to do very well is capture that time period. Mm. I was going to say, it's the whole Saturday morning matinee serial thing. You know Batman the Animated Series? Yes. It has that same sense of dark deco in it uh, throughout, yep. throughout Captain America and it's in the Rocketeer as well. It's, it's almost like it's lifted from propaganda posters. Yeah. It's a style I absolutely love. I love it in Batman the Animated Series. I love it in anything that crops up. I, I even like it in some superhero movies that I know I shouldn't like because they're not that good, but I can't help but like them. Oh, dude, he also directed The Wolfman. That movie sucked. <laughs> I, I, I have brought myself to watch it. Oh, he did direct Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I saw recently and actually holds up pretty well. In all seriousness, consi- looking back on how the Cap has been portrayed over the years, I, you know, I'll say this in the middle of the review. I think this film could have been done better, but it could have been done a hell, hell of a lot, lot worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark. 
actually looks like Leonardo DiCaprio's Howard Hughes. They've yes. purposely made him look like Howard Hughes. Every single time it's stuck in the back of your mind. Mm. And his flying car. And if, if you notice in the background, there's that sort of make way, make way for a brand new day, which plays at the Stark Expo in the late 50s, early 60s. But this is an even earlier version, and it's got a more of a 40s jingle to it. That's a neat touch. I mean, and I like the way that they've portrayed him. He's very... Stark is very much... You realise Stark is very much like his father. Yeah. yeah. And he sort of comes out... And it's, it's, it's like Iron Man's entrance in Iron Man 2 to the Stark Expo, only really cheesy and cheap. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, we got the dancing girls and the cigar. It's good to be back. Only everyone around him isn't... He's not made a name for himself yet. He's too young. So he's got this crazy idea for a flying car, and he's, I mean, he's already, like, you know... He's, he's rich, and he's an inventor, but he is not huge like he's going to be. Yeah. Early repulsor tech. Mm. And it's also, it's, uh, throw a little heart rudder red in there for the uh, car. <laughs> yeah. And, um, oh, I, I noticed this when watching Iron Man 2. One of the Steve punching out Hitler comics is in the box of stuff yeah. that Tony gets from his dad. Yep. Nice. Good touch. And uh, the Captain America shield, uh, which, uh, you know, is a bit more, used more prominently in uh, Iron Man 2, is just a prototype there. I don't know if it had any vibranium in it. No. Um, but it was on the wall in Iron Man 1. When Tony just comes back from Galmira and Pepper finds him, he goes, let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. <laughs> I see we have a question. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, maybe you already answered this, but uh, why exactly are we here? Sean? Second Lieutenant Jake Jensen, West Point, graduate with honors. We're here because you're looking for the best of the best of the best, sir. What's so funny, Edwards? Your boy Captain America over here. The best of the best of the best, sir. Yeah, with honors. You know, he's just really excited and he has no clue why we're here. That's just, that's very funny to me. Y'all ain't laughing, though. I'm amazed it took Marvel this long to have, the, like, interlacing movies that really age. You know, it would have been great if they could have started out like this. I think, though, when you, you look at it, it's not something that had been tried before, because when no. it came to movie adaptations, what they, they were both doing the DC route, and, mm. you know, farming them out to other studios, and now that they're trying to bring them all back, mm. you know, that I'm sure to imagine somewhere, someone in some office is silently cursing Sony at the minute. Yeah, they I need mean, to wait what, for Sony to, to rescind the rights to Spider-Man. I believe Fox still have the rights to X-Men, don't they? Yep. But that's good, because um, the X-Men being in the same universe as all this is going on with uh, the, Mar- the the normal Marvel universe, the non-mutant Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not something that's always sat well with me. I think the Mar- you know, the, the X-Men universe should have always been separate from the main Marvel canon. But You think? But... No, well, this year's biggest-selling comic, Avengers vs. X-Men, says exactly. otherwise. <laughs> yeah, but when you think about it logically, okay, in the universe where the X-Men takes place, mm. um, everybody seems to be really racist against mutants. Yeah, but they're fine with superhumans. That yeah. doesn't quite scan, does it? That's that's the big jar point for me. Interestingly, what? I was watching Thor, Why is the Silver Surfer today, and Sue Storm was like, is our life always going to be a circus? All these people outside the media, they're looking at my wedding, and I can't get married in peace. And it's like, boo-hoo. Boo. Little <laughs> mutant kids are getting stoned to death down the street, but Sue Storm can't get any privacy. That's why the Fantastic Four are difficult to make films about. <laughs> 
while we're talking about X-Men and Avengers, one thing, I know this is just me, but I would have liked to see a cameo with Wolverine during one of the action scenes. Because one of the things I always know is Wolverine and Captain America were quite well. They totally fought alongside. It's in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Well, wasn't Wolverine in the Howling Commandos? Yes, in Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that really, really great animated show. <laughs> Debatable, but yeah, yep. Uh, but no, they definitely there is um, there's a very specific uh, X Men issue which has Cap and Wolverine and Black Widow on the front, which was you know back in the nineties, just sort of going back into the notion that that was when they didn't know Logan was over a hundred years old, uh, and um, it was going back to the time when he did fight in World War Two alongside Cap. So they could, I mean, they, had they had the license, they could easily have gotten Wolverine in there, exactly. as brief a cameo as in First Class. Yeah, but the first class one was excellent. Best cameo in the world ever. Right, so, yeah, Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark. Um, you can see there's some progress there. It feels kind of disjointed, though, because it is nearly 70 years later when Cap comes back, and you're like, okay, so he was Tony Stark's dad? How is Tony not in a wheelchair by now? There's just such a, like, he must have had Tony very late in life. You're not meant to think about that too hard. So it's 2012 now, and he's 47. You think Tony's 47? I would say he's his early 40s more than anything. 44? 42? Yeah. 42? 42. Well, that makes it easier on us because that means Tony was born exactly in 1970. So Stark would have been 50. Um, quite feasible to have a child at 50. Charlie Chaplin, played by Robert Downey Jr. at one point, had children when he was way older than that. But also, think about Could it. Explain if... why he's so different with him. And yeah. also, uh, Howard does come across as the playboy type as well. Hmm. So, and didn't yeah. Howard die quite early in not Sorry. early it, but early-ish in Tony's yeah. life? Yeah, would have made him about sixty, maybe sixty-five. Yeah, actually, that, that's not actually all that that out of whack. Okay, right. So moving on to Howard's greatest creation, the shield. <laughs> Seriously, this thing is a work of art, mm. I, I, and I he just... doesn't even know it's his. He at first he wants to dismiss it for mm. cooler things that he's made, but yeah. More gadgety things, but... Uh, that shield does whatever you want it to. It's excellent. And uh, Chris manages to really chuck that thing in a believable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But well, it, he's not just, like, flinging it. He's actually, like, putting his body... Olympic in sort of... Mm. Yeah. And then there's Peggy. Hayley Atwell. She's all right. Wanna... Yeah, she's... <laughs> she's there. Keeping the British yeah. end up, sir. <laughs> she's like not, she she's not bad. She's just kind of not that interesting... If you know I mean, I mean. The, the whole thing with Peggy sort of comes to a head at the um, A Matter of Life and Death point at the end. Yeah. You know, she's talking to Steve on the phone. I, I feel, I, you know, when I was sitting in the cinema, I was thinking they could probably get a lot more emotion out of this. It's, you know, watching it in more and recently, I'm like, okay, so they sort of, they held it in. They didn't go for super emotion. You know Cap survives, so they didn't try and cheat you by going, you know, massive, the, the music rises up in huge melodrama and Steve, no! But I don't know, maybe just... Um... They went more with a personal touch, because obviously the movie opens with them finding Cap, so you yeah. know he's safe, but it's more the personal moment between those two. I think in my head, what I would have wanted to it would be more something like Sunshine, which sort of like pulling out all the sound effects and even the speech and just sort of you know bringing up the music and just having this heart-pounding thing. But that would have made it too contemporary and not a period piece. And also, so it would have, if they had just done that, as mm. the movie as is, it would have felt out of place as well. Yeah, yeah. 
No, they had to they had to keep it in keeping with the times, and it does feel like an arch- artifact from the forties almost. And uh, uh, Alan Silvestri's fantastic kind of you know da, 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 score. My daughter recognised it in three seconds. I stuck it on iTunes and said, "Whose music is this?" And she went, mm, "Captain America." So it's 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 memorable. It's nothing else. Weirdly, I was going to say the soundtrack was one of the things that bothered me about really? this film. Really? Because there are certain moments where I feel like it's so overwrought. Mm. Uh, the bit where they're all coming back because um, he's invaded that base to mm. save Bucky and they're all yeah. coming back. And that music plays. Oh, you just... A bit more subtlety, please. Come on. It's, yes. it's, 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 it's well, I just much. told you what happens when you try and put subtlety in a movie from the 40s. It ruins the feeling. <laughs> So, yeah, I suppose it could have been Pearl Harbor. <laughs> you see, the trouble is, my overriding music, and I apologise for this, for Captain America, you know, you know it's the, the, the war bombs thing. Mm. That gets stuck in my head. Yes.
don't. It's it's not a phenomenally good soundtrack. It's very appropriate for playing it straight, but yeah, no, you are right, Josh. It doesn't. It's 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 not as powerful and effective as a lot of other ones. It's just it's appropriate for Cap at this time. But I think that's one of the things that bugs me about the film. It can't go deep. It can't go complex because Cap's such a straightforward guy. I think another thing is when, when Bucky dies, I. I wanted it to be a case of Cap struggling, just pulling himself out onto the train, going, I will not let you die, I cannot. And this, this notion that Steve, who has already proved himself to be bloody invincible, and the Hydra guys all shooting directly at his shield, because it's like a giant target, and not a bullet can touch him, especially when he's in montage mode. So he's going to survive, that's fine. But the notion that he can't keep everyone around him alive could really have been explored in the film, but they didn't go deep down yeah, that Yeah, th- that, that's more a problem with the montages. I think that's more... The story. This movie had an awkward story to tell. It had to tell mm. the origin of Cap, but it also had to move Cap into that point where you understand why he's in the now yeah. for the Avengers. And it's not, you know, they had to do it in one movie. That's sort of the kind of thing you really want to do over the course of a trilogy, you know, beginning, middle, end. Mm. You know, you could have had that first movie be much, expand that first half, second movie be the montage in the middle so you get the Howling Commandos who you don't get enough of the Howling Commandos in this movie now. you really annoying. don't uh, um, although uh, at least they didn't try and shoehorn in you know the commander of the Howling Commandos Nick Fury yeah, yeah that's suppose it could have been Nick's yeah. grandfather well just father actually Jack Fury which they what? made up for Earth Mardi's Heroes did they? yeah Jack Fury I, um, that rings a bell did, was he actually in it? No, he actually. When Nick Fury meets meets Captain America, he says, "Oh yeah, um, you, you my, father. my father, Jack, Jack Fury." Yeah, yeah. That yeah, explains how Mike. Yeah. So, so what's the actual story with regular old white boy Nick Fury? Does it was who's he given? Not, who's getting replaced by his son Nick Fury, who looks like Samuel L. Jackson? What? It, what in regular continuity? Uh, that's what I heard. Regular continuity. But, it's they're getting rid of white-haired Nick Fury. Uh, I, I, I thought one of the I'm not quite sure about this but one of the rumours I heard was the white Nick Fury was just a stand-in so nobody knew who the real Nick Fury was uh, what Yeah, but that would devalue not, uh, everything he's ever done in the Marvel Universe ever also I'd like to point out at least it's not as annoying as what they did in Earth's Mightiest Heroes can't decide whether we want the white grey-haired Nick Fury or the Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury we'll stick we'll make this weird amalgamation for series two, he shaves his head, so he's just Samuel L. Jackson. Nick oh, good. That's, at least pick one. Don't. That really bugged me. I can see how they were trying to satisfy their Silver Age and modern movie folks at the same time. It, it didn't bother me because he was basically just Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury to me. I, I, I kind of prefer Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, to be honest. Although, I kind of do like the whitehead one for when you're watching the old 90s Spider-Man. That is interesting, though, isn't it? The notion that you create... The, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, we talked about this in the Ultimate show, Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, was created for the Ultimate Universe by Mark Miller. For, no, in fact, for, by Brian Michael Bendis for Ultimate Spider-Man. And it uh, was based on, the, on Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, he was, he was, his look and his manner of speaking it was exactly based on Samuel L. Jackson. And Jackson approved of and liked this design. His wife even bought him some uh, uh, preliminary sketches <laughs> to, to put up in their house. Um, and then... Jackson ends up playing the character that was based on him, and then the Marvel character in regular continuity gets changed to match the Jackson played in the movie because <laughs> it's more interesting than their one. 
It, ugh, it's weird, weird, isn't it? It is. It's art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life. But, uh, yeah, that, that's odd. I think... I, I really kind of wish to just keep old white Nick Fury and regular... I suppose the fact that the Ultimate Universe has now ended... I think it ended in 2009, didn't it? It's yeah, didn't they just murder again. everybody? <laughs> oh, it's uh, back. Yeah. Okay, right. Oh, yeah, they did. Didn't it end really terribly? All I remember is Blob eating the wasp. And we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said about the Marvel Universe. The Ultimate Universe, I never want to go back to that universe. I don't care how much you recommend to it. Um, one of them is actually billed as somebody who is a Marvel character as well. Union Jack, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's a great minor Jack. character. But yeah. <laughs> and Dugan's there. And Dugan. Yeah, yeah Dum Dum Dugan's been in uh, regular Marvel books. He's been in, like, our time. I don't know how. He yeah. Got. I don't the same way that Nick Fury got there. Nick Fury. Super Soldier de-aging serum? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to admit, I, when I watched this with my girlfriend, I, I, I said something and I realised I was making the joke to my girlfriend, not a geek, not knowing the comic book continuity or anything. So you know that scene where Bucky falls from the train? I did the mock falling voice going, I'll be back as the Winter Soldier! Spoiler warning. Um, yeah. Everyone knows that. I was hoping that for, in Ultimate's continuity that um, Bucky would survive yeah. and end up marrying Peggy and so that in the Avengers he could actually go and meet both of them as, what, Christ, they'd be like in their 90s at this point. Um, and, you know, re- reconcile with one of the comics. It sure. happened in, it happened the, in the Ultimates. Ultimates. Yeah. Uh, and it was replicated in uh, Ultimate Avengers, the lukewarm adaptation. But yeah, it doesn't look like they're going that route for, for this one. Although, from the sounds of it, I think the guy playing Bucky is contracted to do more films. Yes, because they are going the Winter Soldier route. They are? Yes. Huh? Oh. Uh, one thing I would like so to So Bucky's say. coming back? If I remember correctly, he falls off, he's found by the Russians, they take him back and use him in their own Super Soldier program, which is how he ends up as the Winter Soldier. The commie like, Captain America. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a black ops thing where they keep him frozen and use him for assassinations and things like that. Okay. One thing I would like to say about Bucky is I like how during the whole train scene you get a peek into set out um, Bucky still sees Steve. I mean, he closes the door to protect Steve from the oncoming, oncoming slaughter. He's the only person who still mm. sees Steve as this kid he's grown up with that may, may still need protection sometimes. Yeah. He has trouble adapting to the notion that this guy is now the leader. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense, really. Because, like, the last time you saw him, he was the little wimpy kid, and then he turns up and he's Captain America. Symbol of all things... Arse-kicking. Arse-kicking, yeah. America!
we go to the end, a little bit about how much each movie costs and how much each movie made, which will give you an idea of how much each character is valued by Marvel right now. And uh, if you actually look at the Avengers poster, it's interesting because the ones who've made the most money are front and center. The ones who are like, uh, these guys are in it too, are in the background. <laughs> Iron Man cost $140 million and made 585 that's a lot of dollars. That has a 94% freshness rating, so to date, it is the, uh, the highest rated of the uh, five Marvel films. Uh, Hulk cost $150 million, so 10 extra million, and it made 263 which in comparison to Iron Man is pretty miserable. And that's why Hulk's just shoved in the background in the Avengers poster, like, ah, he's here too. If you kids still want the Hulk, he's there. Hulk gets a 66% freshness rating. That's the lowest on the list. That's, that's harsh, I think. I think it's a much better film than that. I think it's fair. It's fair in terms of that's how many positive reviews it actually got. So, yeah. It's, it's not like an independent body made this decision. That's <laughs> literally based on aggregate reviews. Iron Man 2 cost $200 million and made 623 So, it made more than even Iron Man 1, despite being not as good, because everyone had discovered Iron Man 1 on DVD. Thank, like, similar to Austin Powers. Second well, one made so I much think, more. Uh, you've got to remember that Iron Man was a surprise. No one yeah, thought it was yeah. going to be that big, and it, you know, it was all that good, and it was. Iron Man 2 has a 74% aggregate, eh, which seems about right. Thor cost $150 million and made 449 Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad at all. Better than the Hulk, which <laughs> cost the same. Not bad for the God of Thunder. Yeah. In fact, that's $220 million more than the Hulk it won, so... Yeah, that's actually really good. That's quite a bit more. They like Thor. That's why Thor's... Um, well, Iron Man's way up front and centre because he's made Marvel over a billion dollars. Thor, just to one side, because he's also pretty huge. Cap cost $140 million, made 368 which is significant. That's, that's more than $100 million more than Hulk. Uh, Thor got 77% aggregate rating. Cap got 79%. Hmm, interesting. Mm. And Avengers cost $220 million which is only 20 million more than Iron Man 2. It will make, I'm going to bet you right now, at least 700 million. It's, well, it's going to make more. Uh, than the rumor, what I've uh, read that people are thinking, this is what's going to happen. The Avengers is going to come out, and it's going to smash the Dark Knight's record. Oh, smash! Because, a lot because of it's more suitable for little kids. More people are saying it's more the most anticipated movie of the year. Mm-hmm. But what will happen is that will reign supreme for about a couple of months. And then... Rises comes out and breaks that record. That record. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I don't think Rises will actually even break Dark Knight. I know it sounds crazy, but who's in Rises? We have, well, you, you typical when you got the addition of oh, Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle. Catwoman. You have the, the very, very... Oh, his name's gone out of my head. The scary dude. Tom Hardy. Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy has Bane. Yeah, scary as buggery. But, um, well, regular Joes n- definitely know who Catwoman is, but uh, the Catwoman film bombed, so it's not like people are going to go just for her. And Bane, only Batman fans know who Bane is in DC. Fans. Well, no. Some people of a certain generation, because a few guys from my work in their yeah. like, late 30s know who Bane is. Okay, okay. The, the Radio compare One serial him to the 90s. Joker. Seriously compare him to the Joker. Everyone knows the Joker. People went to see the 1989 Batman film with Jack Nicholson for Jack Nicholson's Joker. That's why Dark Knight did so very well, because the Joker scares the shit out of people. Also, let's not forget, a lot of people went out of morbid curiosity. Yeah, see Heath Ledger's Ledger's final performance. Mm. I don't think it's going to do as well as uh, either Avengers or Dark Knight. Tell you what, Al. 
I'll Should do, we place a bet? I'll place a bet with you. Yeah. Ten, pound, ten, pound, ten pounds. Ten pounds. Ten pounds. It does better. We don't keep the money. Whoever wins doesn't keep the money. Goes to charity. That's true. Yes, I will give ten pounds to charity, or Neil will give ten pounds to uh, Charles Play Charity. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So my betting is the Avengers will make more than Dark Knight Rises. So let's say for the month of release, how much money they make in that month? Okay. Yeah. Month of release. That's fair enough. Uh, because, okay. Right. Because. Here's my reasoning. Avengers, I'm taking my three-year-old kids to see the Avengers. I am not taking her to see Dark Knight Rises. No way, no how. So, I mean, that's a lot of extra little bums on seats. True, true. I'm with you there, but I think think, uh, the Batman movies at the minute are appealing to a wide audience, just not the comic book movies. I think Batman has this strange sort of appeal at the minute that it appeals to people outside the comic book fans yeah. as well so I think serious movie fans yeah. yeah especially after the second one as well however the Avengers does have a uh, extra string to its Hawkeye bow it's really funny yep. that's what loads of the reviews are saying it's, it's currently at 97% which is going to go down one person out of uh, 35 doesn't like this film and even they gave it an average review but the fact that it's really funny the funniest of all of these will get people to come back that- and it's the repeat viewings that really get the extra sales yeah, I, I can't argue, especially because you got Josh in there. Him, Josh. who came, I can't Josh. pronounce. <laughs> yeah, I secretly directed the Avengers. I didn't yeah. know I did. <laughs> Josh Garrity. Uh, I, so, yeah, it's I, funny. I'm looking forward to it. Because, come on, we were, how many times have you gone to your friends and quoted, We have a Hulk? So yeah, let's let's just finish off, and then we'll go see the Avengers, and then we'll talk about it next week. Can't wait! I've got my tickets for Sunday. I, I know I've had to rescind my no 3D rule. Seriously, you're seeing it in 3D? We are totally seeing it in 2D. Yeah. Well, if we wanted to see it in 3D, we had one. Sorry, in 2D, we had one showing on Thursday night. Seriously? That's After that, it's all 3D. Dude, actually, let's talk about the 3D for Captain America. Sucks. Okay. Right, so the end of it. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I saw the uh, film so late in its run that I couldn't see the 2D version at all, so I was forced oh. to see it in 3D, which broke my rule. Basically, because I didn't want to not see Captain America in the cinema. And um, the only bit that was actually kind of good was when the Red Skull activates the Cosmic Cube accidentally, and you see Yggdrasil, the world tree, in 3D. That was actually... Ooh. Okay. That one moment was actually more impressive in the cinema in 3D than it was in Blu-ray, but it wasn't worth feeling sick for the rest of the film. It was a retroactive 3D as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was retrofitted, yeah. Stop doing I'm, the retrofitted. It doesn't work. Yeah, seriously. No one likes it. I mean, stop doing 3D, please. Look, the highest grossing movies in 3D have all been ones that have been shot in 3D with 3D in mind, not the retrofitted bollocks. Interesting, actually. Avengers in 3D versus Dark Knight, not 3D. But with IMAX, because no one doesn't like 3D. Yes, this is yeah. another interesting point. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. <laughs> you are totally not going to win. <laughs> so we'll see. We shall see. To be continued. Okay. I won on that Gran Turismo bet with Tony. Although I appear to have lost on the 3DS. Actually, no. no neither of us have bought 3DS, so that thing's still technically going. Okay, right. So the end, when Steve makes his, uh, his great sacrifice. Uh, like I said, they, they could have made more out of it. We know he survives. But that doesn't make his actual act of sacrifice any less noble and any less stirring. 
Well, the thing is, we know he survives. He doesn't know he's going to survive. Yeah. He is sacrificing his life. Precisely. Uh, and then when he wakes up, to me, the very end, after he wakes up, is the best part of the film. Because the, the, the neat kind of, where am I? You're in, you're in a hospital room in New York City. Where am I really? And this, this kind of, you know, this baseball game, it was... It was in 1941. I know because I was there. That's a neat touch. That feels almost like a Joss Whedon moment. And then when he busts out into the street, that's pretty much straight out of the Ultimates as well. Yeah. Although, actually, as I said in the Ultimates show, because of the year the Ultimates came out, I keep going on about the Ultimates, Nick Fury was able to say, you've been asleep. How long? 57 years. A direct reference there to aliens. Like, there's no other year that that could have been said. But it was. I was like, wow. And now it's like, you've been asleep for almost 70 years. Oh, that's not as good. <laughs> but still, the actual the run through New York City is a really great way of, of showing him as being suddenly completely out of his depth. And they do, it's kind of interesting if you watch that, they don't paint S.H.I.E.L.D. as being a little bit sinister in that. Mm. It shows mm. what S.H.I.E.L.D.'s actually kind of like, very cloak and daggers, we're doing the best, we're yeah. doing what's best for you. Sharon said they should probably have put Black Widow in a nurse's uniform and stuck her in there. And I was like, they probably wanted to put a woman who would not engage him in combat. <laughs> you just I'm sorry, I back. think my brain has just melted. I want one. <laughs> Do want Scarlett Johansson. But here's the thing. Steve was never really at home, even in the 40s. He seems like a guy who was detached from his time anyway. Steve was very innocent, no matter what time hmm. it is. Whereas a lot of people were far more cynical about everything that was going on around them. Yeah. He's like a kid. Actually, he does remind me a little bit of um, Captain Marvel from the DC Universe. Billy Batson. A yeah, kid no, in an yeah. adult macho superhero body who just who has these you know high and mighty you know the, the ideals of a child who grew up on Saturday morning cartoons and understands good very very good and very very evil and that there are no shades of grey in between and you put him in the room with Tony Stark <laughs> so yeah that'll be interesting really interesting can't wait can I just bring up the cosmic cube because we haven't yes. actually spoken yeah. about it yeah. Um, which they don't actually refer to as the cosmic cube in this. They call it the tesseract. Does it anyone? It's a four-dimensional cube. Four-dimensional cube. Yeah. Do you know what the fourth dimension is? Time. Yes. Um, so that's an interesting name that doesn't sound silly. I think that I thought that was the reasoning behind calling it a which... tesseract because cosmic cube sounds a bit Saturday morning yeah. cartoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's also a great way of writing the red skull in. Yeah. Oh, no, tell me he's not going to come back with his one dimension. From the fourth dimension. That doesn't even make sense. Hey, maybe he'll come back with an extra dimension. Brilliant. (laughs) It's just a way of making sure, because let's face it, if you've got Captain America, you have to have the Red Skull. What they always do is they bring back Red Skull whenever Captain America comes back in some form. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me no. Where do you think he went? He opened up the bleeding bride. You to see, Asgard. I honestly thought he died. Like I, I honestly, he, he went nah, to Asgard and got hit by a frost giant. What I'm thinking is the cosmic cube is how Thor gets the tesseract. Yeah, yeah. Combine that with uh, Jane's theorem on the Einstein-Rosenbridge, and you have yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I buy that. I, I just want to see actually, and I want to I want to see the deleted scene where you actually see that Red Skull just sort of lands in this weird shadowy bar, and there's Loki on a bar stool <laughs> being really bloody depressed, and they just sat there drinking, going, 
Yeah, so. the smell of beer and defeat. <laughs> and Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> I can't find my cow helmet. <laughs> I'm now picturing all of the defeated villains from these Marvel films sat around a table playing poker. I was going to say, how do you think the Masters of Evil from Marvel Ultimate Alliance got started? Yeah, <laughs> Masters of Evil. Oh, we were talking about that when we were playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Isn't it? Who? This game came out in 2006, and they're still calling themselves the Masters of Evil. And when Loki turns up, he's like, yes, I shall kill my brother Thor and bring chaos to Asgard. And it's like, seriously? That's how you're characterizing these guys. I, I, I like the fact that we now live in an age where people give comic books the time of day in terms of writing. It's great. You get to see these like really colourful, crazy characters that were just created as fun distractions for kids being actually fleshed out by intelligent people. I love that. Right, so yeah, to round up Captain America, like I said, the, uh, the first part of the movie for me is the strongest uh, part, it, the strongest section, and it, it focuses mostly on the character of Steve Rogers. The second part focuses mainly on the icon of Captain America and how he likes to drive his motorbike in slow motion up ramps and through the air and throw his shield very slow motion and kick many, many cartoon hydras through walls. And, uh, yeah, that. And then it finishes on Steve, which is a good good idea. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. Could have been better, could have been worse. Yeah. For me, it's the weakest of the Marvel films, but it's still stronger than most of the output from the previous decade. Yeah, my thoughts on it are kind of similar. It's it's not that it does anything outright offensive. It just you see potential in certain parts, and you're just like, oh, come on, come on, you yeah, could have that, done something better. That is the worst part. But I think, like I said, I think it would have worked so much if it had been a trilogy of stories. I don't know if they could have kept it in the forties. Uh, it's, it's definitely right that he's now available for the Avengers. It just goes through these comic book characters are kind of hard to write good stories for, aren't they? Yeah, it took them, it took them this long to really get it done right. So, yeah. I mean, you got to remember we're coming with the added baggage of continuity knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> and yet you also have to to make it you know a rip roaring. I mean, the, the last film that was even really like this was Sky Captain: The World of Tomorrow, which I love. Which you love. Do you I love, love it? I love Most it. audiences loathe that thing. I love it. I hate it. I it's just... not without its charms. But I never yeah. saw it. No, me neither. Don't watch I it. Love that I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> don't watch it just because you don't like Hang on. Yes. Let's find out my what the critics... Is <laughs> I base lots of my life choices on what... I'm in favour of everyone watching things, apart from The Ultimates yeah. 3. Don't read The Ultimates. For God's sake, don't give them more yeah, money. Don't do my mistake. Fucking Jeff Loeb. <laughs> I got it in. Yeah, I got it in. In context. <laughs> Jeff Love, by the way, appears to have cancelled Earth's Mightiest Heroes. The greatest yes. cartoon that Marvel have ever done. And they're going to make it something like the new Ultimate Spider-Man. It'll, yeah, it'll be like Ultimate Spider-Man, which is boring and like tries way too hard to make you laugh and has no drama. So, great. Here he is, the biggest douche of the universe. In all the galaxies, there's no bigger douche than you. You've reached the top, the pinnacle of douchedom. Good going, douche. Your dreams have come true. Right, uh, Sky Captain, let's just finish this one. I know it's going to be terrible. I like that movie. I'm sorry. I love the style. I love the art style. Interesting Link happens to have Pepper Potts in it. 
Yes. Yeah, there you go. It's 72%, which is higher than the Hulk. That's actually surprising. I thought it'd be lower than that. Yeah. Okay, right. So, if you like Captain America, you might want to check out Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow and definitely The Rocketeer, which also happens to have a fiendish, wolfish Timothy Dalton bearing a moustache. So you know he's evil. <laughs> and there's a Zeppelin, too. It's great. Oh, yeah. Did oh, anybody Je- play Jennifer Connolly. Interesting link there. She of the original Hulk. Did anybody play the Captain America tie-in game? Yeah. Yeah, because apparently it's quite good. It's yeah, not co- bad. It ate <laughs> surprisingly. Um, Arkham Asylum with the combat system and whatnot. Yeah? Yeah, it's, it's not as good as Ar- Arkham Asylum, but it's not bad for a movie tie-in game at all. Yeah. I might check that out. How about the Thor game? Never. No, that's terrible. That's, I suspect that's one of the crap space. ones. <laughs> I played like the Iron I- Man one. I rented it for five minutes and sent it right back. Actually, yeah, any, anyone on the Iron Man 1 and 2 games? I've played the demo. <laughs> Pretty bad. The demo for Iron Man 1 made me want to tear my eyes out and put them up my own arse. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Just because I hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's not much you can say to that. No. So, yeah, so they messed up Iron Man 1, 2, and Thor. From the sounds of it, Captain America Super Soldier's not too bad. There was an Incredible Hulk video game as well, wasn't there? Um, yeah. Ultimate Destruction. Yeah. No, no, hang on. Uh, Ultimate Destruction came beforehand and was written by Paul Jenkins, similarly themed to the Ang Lee Hulk movie, but with a, a better plot. Oh, just so that Captain I... America game was written by Christos Gage as well. The X-Men Origins colon Wolverine game was kind of fun. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I like the fact that while your body regenerates, so does your shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why Magic not? Shirt powers. I got a, f- uh, a plank stuck to my back in that game and it wouldn't leave me alone for half a level. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> try to be more realistic. <laughs> With the hey, realistic plank the physics. <laughs> hey, at least they got a sentinel in the thing. It's more than the movies ever managed. Yeah. Um, did anyone play the Spider-Man 2 movie game? Yeah, that was good. That was yeah, good. That was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, actually, while we're on this tip, let's do any other Marvel games worth of known. Marvel vs. Capcom 2, one of the greatest 2D fighters of all goddamn time. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of ridiculous, cartoonish party gaming. Uh, it's, it's not really one for combos, just for mashing buttons and making incredible exploding things happen. Uh, Available on XBLA. If you don't mind dropping back a generation, the two X-Men... X-Men RPGs. Legends. Yeah, yeah X-Men Legends. Legends. And by extension, oh, Marvel no, Ultimate Legends, Alliance. Sorry. One, and I haven't played two yet, but everyone goes, it's not as good as the first one. But I don't even like the first one, so maybe it'll be better. I, I like the presentation from what I've seen. It's also based loosely on Civil War, so maybe. Yeah, I still need to play through that one the, the other way to the way I played it the first time. Ultimate Spider-Man was quite good on the uh, Xbox and PS2. Yeah. I kind of got stuck on the Rhino, which is... Spidey was... Web of Shadows wasn't too bad. Um, Spider-Man Time, what's the most recent one? Shattered Dimensions? And Shattered Dimensions. Shattered Universal. Edge, Edge of bad? Time is the most recent one. Shattered Dimensions yeah. got fairly positive reviews, mm. but Edge of Time was trashed by critics. Yeah. They took the worst parts of um, Shattered Dimensions and made Edge of Time. Oh, God. Right, okay, so Shattered Dimensions, if you, if you have to pick up a Spider-Man game, is worth... I, I did like the fact that Deadpool in, in Shattered Dimensions was played by Nolan North again. Actually, no, that makes sense. That's he's, a good casting choice, really. It's does he play him in, in Marvel vs. Capcom 3 as well? Yes, he does. Yes. Yeah. 
Marvel's oh. Capcom 3 is also good. Not and in Wolverine Origins as well, doesn't he? Does he play in Wolverine Origins? As, as in Wade? In, in the game, yeah, I think yeah. so. So when he turns up at the end, is he actually the, the mute one with his mouth sewn shut and his eyes all black and his no, laser eyes the and re- the swords that come out of his arms and he's wearing just tracksuit pants and he's not fucking Deadpool? No, when he opens his mouth, the mouth <laughs> <laughs> We'll do that. I'm going to do, later on this year, uh, X-Men films, uh, all five of them, and the Spider-Man films. Now, I wanted to do Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3 in the run-up to Amazing Spider-Man. However, Prometheus comes out, and then Batman comes out. There isn't enough time to do all of the Alien films and all of the Batman films and get Spider-Man in time for Spider-Man to come out. There's just not enough time. I'm already doing six per month, rather than the, the customary four per month. I'm going to have to do two a week for, for two weeks, so I'm, I'm, I, I, I can't overload myself. So we're going to have to coincide the Spider-Man shows with the release of the Blu-ray. Avengers, we're pretty certain we know roughly what's going to go on. Amazing Spider-Man is an untested factor. We don't oh, know wait, what it's going to be. Can I just say, how cool is it? We get... The Avengers a month before the United States. I thought that was on May the fourth for them. Yeah, it's only a week. Is it a week? Oh, a week, month? I don't care. We get <laughs> it before them. Do get it before them, definitely. That is awesome. Okay, so we will see you next week for the Avengers. That's what the name of the film is. It's called the Avengers. There's no other name for it. It's just the Avengers. That's what you need to ask for when you go for your ticket, folks. In fact, book your ticket now. Alex, stop trying to win the bet. Everyone needs to go see the Avengers twice. <laughs> Still won't win. That doesn't mean that I want Dark Knight in any way to fail, but I, I want Avengers to succeed because it, it, I, I want Marvel to be shown that getting Joss Whedon on is a good thing. Oh yes, and, and this is the right way to do things. And having your your characters intersect all leading up to this one thing, I want it to paid off for them. <laughs> so everyone going, oh, the Avengers better be good. Oh, it was. And if we're lucky, maybe DC will get their act together. Yeah, because no, no, that's, that's what everybody's way. thinking. Yeah. If Avengers succeeds, they'll do a Justice League version of this. Mm. But they need to set it up with the Wonder Woman and the new Batman and the new... You know they won't. You know they'll screw it up. Look <laughs> what they did to Green Lantern. Look what they did. Mm. Okay, that'll do. Right. See you next week. Thank you very much to my guests. Joshua Garrity, Jerome McIntosh, Paul Gibson, Neil Taylor. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo. My name is Alex Shaw. Avengers Assemble. Avengers <laughs> Assemble.